electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, one of the men behind the big short issuing a harsh warning for the markets, the economy and the meme stocks. We will ask him why he thinks we're whistling through the graveyard right now. Plus, is Walmart about to go head-to-head with Amazon Prime? The details on a potential new streaming platform for the world's largest retailer and what it means for an already crowded field of streamers. And later, AMC's extreme options action, the significance of the SoFi SoftBank slump, and another Berkshire bump for Oxy. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Dan Nathan, Bono and Eisen, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal of Kane Anderson Rudnick. And we start off with the countdown to tomorrow's big CPI report. Economists expecting some relief as energy and food prices pulled back in July. But with housing costs still elevated, will it be enough to tamp down inflation fears? Markets took a bit of a breather ahead of the report today, with the Nasdaq dropping more than a percent. S&P down as well, its fourth straight day of losses. So how should investors prep for tomorrow's print? Guy. First of all, welcome back, sister. Thank I you. miss you. I mean, when you're not here, it's not. Listen, I will say Joe does a great job. Courtney does an outstanding job. Them. Brian is great. But there's Melissa Lee and there's everybody else. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. So welcome back. So what was the question? Oh, CPI yeah. tomorrow. Listen, I think inflation is still going to be hot. It's still a problem. I think so much of this rally from June 15th until recently has been predicated on the fact that people think this Federal Reserve is going to pause or pivot. I don't think that's going to happen. Even if you have a six handle, it's still three times what they're looking for. And they have to be steadfast and earnest in their belief that inflation's a problem. They got to tamp it down. Yeah. Dan? Yeah. All the excitement, though, over the last few weeks, you, you know, we had the S&P up 15 percent off those June lows. We had the Nasdaq 100 up more, more than 20 percent. It really feels like that investor sentiment shifted from really like worst case scenarios in May to maybe a soft landing. Right. And so some of this data, I mean, again, you know, that jobs number last week, you could look at it a couple of different ways. If the CPI readings start to come in, we're starting to hear a lot of things about moderating prices in both services, um, you know, and in commodities that sort of thing. I mean, there is a narrative to be kind of scripted in a way that maybe we are on the precipice of a soft landing. Maybe some of the hitting this thing really hard in a short period of time as far as the rate hikes in QT. I, I'm not saying that I'm in that camp. I think that's what the stock market's saying. It's also what like yields are saying in a way, right? So if you look at the 10-year yield at 2.7%, you could look at it another way. You could say stagflation. But I think right now, as of last week, before we had this sell-off over the last day, day and a half or so, it really was soft landing. That was kind of the message, and at least the bond market and the stock market, right. that's what it was saying to me. Commodities have really come in, risk on, really. I mean, yeah. because of the low uh, 10-year yield, risk assets have really gone higher in terms of out on the risk spectrum, Bonowin. I mean, we've seen the ARC names do very well, up 30-something percent since the June lows. We've seen all of those sort of, we're going to talk about meme stocks, meme stocks go higher. Well, there's been enough uh, erosion in terms of the base for these modest moves to really reflect as like a large percentage move. So, you know, I think you kind of want to normalize for where we have been versus where we currently are. You know, in terms of what to expect tomorrow, I mean, I... 
it, it matters, but I think we've seen enough strength in the labor market, and they've told you, listen, it's inflation and it's a labor market. They're going to continue to march forward. I think the, the people that are looking for the pivot need to pivot and look for something else. I don't think it's going to happen. They've, they've come out. They've been as straightforward as they can be with you and told you exactly what the plan is going to be. And to Guy's point, even if it is a 6-7 handle, I mean, peak inflation to me, I, I think it's an overblown notion. It doesn't matter. Are, how far are we from where their target is Two, two and a half percent, the spread between that and six and a half. I mean, you can do the math on that. That's four. So I still think we have quite a ways to go. We've seen all these uh, sort of notions really play out in the second quarter earnings that we've seen so far. Revenue growth, modest margins eroding. And that's really the story of how inflation is, is eating into companies' pocketbooks, basically. Yeah, I think you've seen a lot of reasonable levels of earnings and then guidance being really weak or at a minimum pretty conservative. I think businesses are nervous about how much investment they really want to be undertaking, given that they expect a softening economy. And I think longer term, the real question is, what is purchasing power look like for consumers? Because we can sit here and say it's 8%, 9% tomorrow, or 6%. Your consumer doesn't care. They want to know what the absolute dollar is on their gas bill or on their grocery bill. They don't. The percentages are useless. They, they eat using dollars. Right. Price stability guy, which is what Jerome Powell yeah. struggles to achieve once again. I mean, price stability. Have you seen have you watched the bond market while you've been away? I know you've been away a long time. You know, I'm not trying to choose anymore, but the bond market's been out. It's been crazy. I mean, look at what's happened in two year yields over the last couple of weeks. I mean, if that's price stability, they're failing. They're failing at a lot of things. They're clearly failing at price stability. Now, Dan's going to get mad at me, I know, but they're failing at their yeah, job. Yeah, but you have a lot of things that are reverting, right? If you look at the dollar, it had this kind of massive right. shoot up. You look at crude oil, like the same mm-hmm. thing. We saw that in a lot of uh, you know commodities. We're seeing it in ags, too. I mean, like a lot of that stuff, there is a chance that it all kind of moderates. I think to your point, though, Bonwin, is that even if we're getting these readings in CPI at 9% last month, 8.7%, they're still really elevated year over year, but they're going to come in, too. And so I guess the point is, is like we all thought prior to the pandemic that rates were going to be going higher. I guess we had that period in Q4 2018 where the stock market didn't really like rates going higher. The 10 year topped out at three and a quarter. We got just above that, you know, after this extraordinary period of easy monetary and fiscal stimulus. And I think we could all agree that we should be at a normalized sort of rate. I guess the point is, is that if we do see inflation come back in and we have yields stay where they are somewhere in and around this kind of 3% level on the 10-year, we can all feel pretty good about that. Yeah. What does inflation coming back in mean, though? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, the Fed told us that they're, you know, they're, they're targeting 4% on the downside. Prior to the pandemic, they were, they were trying to get it above 2% to the upside. Now, Guy would tell you that they were never measuring it correctly, and we were waiting for wage growth finally to come in. We had not seen that in a very long time. i just say this. You guys know my stance on the wage growth. Think about where we've had those gains since the pandemic. I think that those gains will be moderated away. I think we will get back to automation and all the things, all those kind of themes that were very prevalent prior to the pandemic. So I wouldn't be too optimistic about the wage growth that we've seen since, you know, in the last year, year and a half or so. Well, I'll tell you where we have price stability, and it's in rent prices. Mm -hmm. And so we've had all this moderation in the commodity complex and other areas of the market. 
that is where people still feel the pain. If you have no place to stay and you can't afford food, I mean, the, the, there is no elasticity there. Like, those are t- two things that you have to have, and we are not seeing the rollover in terms of people are having to spend in order to keep a roof over their head. And until that abates, I think the Fed is going to continue doing what they've told us they're going to do. And do you think Pepsi <clears throat> is going to roll back the price increases they they put on Fritos, Doritos, and all sorts of other assorted snack foods, Julie. I mean, there is price stickiness here. Companies have jacked up prices on a number of things. Rents stay high. Wages will stay high. And those things don't come back very easily, even if the price of gasoline has come down at the pump. That's right. I think, you know, customers are very are used to seeing things like gas prices move a lot. But once you get price deterioration and increases, those don't come back. You know, the, the decrease in your can of Pringles, that's forever. We will just have fewer. So I, I think consumers are getting used to that. And you can talk about base effects. But at the end of the day, their paycheck hasn't grown that much. And their percent that they're spending on on their mortgage or on their rent has continued to increase to completely unaffordable levels. So something has to give. And I think that that's the discretionary side of the consumer. In a surprise twist of events, Dan tonight is playing the role of the bull, relative bull, I should I should add. Uh, why do you think, I mean, rates at 2.78 percent or wherever they are at this moment in time, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think that, again, I think what the tenure is telling us is that growth is not going to be what a lot of bulls actually, other than me, um, I guess I'm not that, um, you know, think that we're going to have in the not so distant future. And I think what the two year is telling you exactly what Bonowin's saying is that the Fed is going to stay the course because the data, although it might start to come off peak levels off of 40 year levels, whether it be, you know, unemployment at, at 40 year lows or CPI at 40 year highs, they're going to continue to stay somewhat hawkish here because Again, if they get too, um, you know, dovish, then we're back in a situation where we have asset bubbles that start to bubble up again. And then we have a balance sheet of the Fed that's nine trillion dollars. They're trying to roll it off. What do we do? We go back into QE? I don't know. Okay, so 2.78 percent is just subpar growth, but it's not necessarily stagflation. No, I don't. I mean, listen, of course, it's stagflation because we're coming off of this extraordinary period after the pandemic. All right. Even with today's market pullback, our next guest warns Wall Street is still too bullish ahead of the CPI report. Danny Moses of the Big Short fame is founder of Moses Ventures. Danny, good to see you in person here at the Nasdaq market site. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Are you net short in your portfolio? I mean, is that how you view the world? I would say I'm not net long. Uh, I think there's opportunities. (laughs) There's always opportunities on both sides of the equation. But the stuff I'm seeing right now, I think it's presenting. It's set up for short. So. Okay. So what do you see happening tomorrow and what are your concerns? I think the obsession with every print that goes by with all this mm-hmm. economic data, whether it's 8.7, 8.4, PPI on Wednesday, whatever that might be, it's really about what's going on behind the scenes. And that's what's important. Earnings are coming down. Layoffs are starting to happen. Fed rates take a while to build themselves into the economy, and it's happening now. So we've seen peak earnings in this cycle for sure. We've seen probably the lowest rates in this cycle for sure. And what you guys were talking about earlier that really resonates with me is you would want to see 10-year yields now moving higher, not lower, because it's telling you something. So a two-year 10-year inverted by 50 basis points is telling you something. Two negative quarter GDP growth is telling you something. And purchasing power is diminishing because the consumer is not keeping up on their wages. With So that's a bad witch's brew, as we say. Witch's brew. He snuck witch's in here, by the way. I'm sitting here looking at you. I turn around. He's, standing, he's right next Magic. to me. I will yeah. tell you, last summer, the only person talking about stagflation that I remember was Danny Moses. It's right before us now. So my question to you, Danny, with twos, tens going to 50 basis points inverted, 
There's no arrows in the quiver of the Federal Reserve to fight this. And they can say they're going to pivot, they're going to pause. But if they do that, commodities go back up and the inflation problem continues. How do they get out of this mess? I mean, they're just, you know, they're certainly going to pause at some point. But why would they pause? Is it because inflation's coming down or things just are stuck in the mud? I think it's probably combination of both. I think we've seen peak inflation, but I don't know what they can do. They're unwinding an eight to nine trillion dollar balance sheet here. So I tell people this is a little bit of the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. It's all kind of mixed in, but there is no precedent for what we are seeing right now. And look what has already happened with the Fed having done very little. I mean, already in the, the builders have, have gotten hit. You see what's going on in, in, in that sector. So the consumer is starting to feel it. And with savings rates where they are right now, where they've dropped, there's not a lot of margin for error here on the consumer side. So. So you spoke to employment a bit earlier. And so what we've seen so far is the, the, the unemployment or p- the peaking of unemployment that we're seeing is more so in the tech sector versus, you know, the spending power is really the spending power is really being challenged in the lower third of, of the consumer base. What is it that the Fed needs to see from an employment standpoint in that middle third to upper third to get the people that are clamoring for this pivot to have something to kind of hang their hat on? Yeah, I don't think they care so much about the middle and upper third. I think Walmart customer and Walmart told you the day before the Fed went, I think part of that pre-announcement was to announce to the Fed, look what's going on. We're going to tell you right now the consumer is struggling. They're spending all their money on gas and food, and there's really nothing left. And so Fed is certainly watching that. That's going to have an impact. But there are layoffs occurring in the middle to upper now for the first time. And those are high-paying jobs, and that will have an impact, I think, on the market that we've yet to see. So this lag effect is now, I think, you know, going to come around here. So, Danny, you just said that investors are kind of whistling through the graveyard. What is that? Like uh, some yeah, of the, you know. the big short thing. Right, yeah. What are they missing? Well, we just had the S&P just rallied 15 percent. That's yeah. that's one heck of a rally in a very short period of time. Right. And so the Nasdaq, you know, again, look at do you see today the market like felt really sloppy. The Nasdaq was down like one and a half percent. But you know what? Microsoft and Apple were unched on the day. OK, unchanged. It was keeping the S&P together here. So what you know, it really feels like, again, there's a lot of people calling for bottoms, that sort of thing. What, what are investors missing? right here? I think you can own the quality. I think you're going to see those stocks traded a premium to the historical valuations because they're going to hide in them. These meme stocks, which I call obsessments, not investments, is really what they are. I don't even watch. I mean, watch them to indicate the health of the retail investor, but there's not healthy what you see. Those are not healthy moves in Bed Bath Beyond, AMC, GameStop. They're just not. And we know where they're going to end, or at least I think I know where they're going to end in. And so you want to own companies with strong fundamentals. You want to own companies with good, solid cash in their balance sheet, not lots of debt, because that's a whole other area that we can talk about maybe in a different episode, is what's going to happen when corporations need to come back for paper uh, to fund their balance sheets. It's going to be a lot more expensive this time around. So those are all things that have yet to come, and I think that's coming on the horizon. Is there a big short in your portfolio now? And I'm just saying, like, relative to other positions. You're baiting me now. Not necessarily. Oh, oh, there's one. There's one. There's one. Well, listen, I'll just say, listen, Tesla, you know, to me, is everything about this market that has been wrong. It's been bad enforcement by the government, capital markets, brokers writing research that, you know, obviously for banking fees and so forth. And to me, when that thing finally breaks, if it ever does, and been wrong for a long time, but when and if and when it does, I think we'll know that the market has corrected itself because it has a little bit of everything in this market. So this is a short position in your portfolio? Tesla is a short position Since in my portfolio. Since what level? Well, because off, a lot of people off have gone on. broke shorting Tesla, Absolutely. Right? I have not. So I made money initially years ago when uh-huh. I, after the Solar City acquisition. I thought for sure oh, so this is a people long, would realize. I mean, this is a oh, yeah, multi-year, decade-long it, it, It's been a war. I've, I've traded, I haven't <laughs> traded as well as I probably should have, but uh, now I think I'm geared up to a level where I'm very comfortable being short at these levels. So. Okay. All right. Danny, good to see good you. Enough. Thank you. Good to see you. Danny Thank you, guys. Moses. 
Uh, Julie Beal, what do you think, particularly about the consumer, the, the effects yet to come, the lag effect of the Fed's uh, rate hikes? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this is the time to be in quality, I think, from a valuation standpoint. The rally that we've seen has really left quality behind, and so you can actually find good value there right now. Um, for sure, I don't want anything that has a lot of leverage. I think that's very underappreciated by the market is how many of these companies have either variable rate maturities or maturities that are coming due relatively soon, and, and it's going to be a very different world for them coming back to the capital markets. And similarly, I think most of these tech businesses that are run by you know young CEOs They've never been a manager in a recession. They're going to come across a very different world when they can't just get their way out of trouble by buying ping pong tables and beer taps. It's, it's a new world for them. Dan. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the quality thing is a really good point. I mean, Danny just said that those names that are going to continue to be crowded in um, are going to trade at multiple. So if you want to get worried about, you know, Apple at 27 times or whatever it is for like low single digit revenue growth. I mean, again, you know, we've all made that case again and again, but that stock did sell off 30 percent or so from its highs. The problem is it just rallied back. It's down single digits percent on the year. And I think you might see, uh, you know, like you might see a lot of those smaller stuff that Julie just mentioned. That stuff is already down 67. 80 percent. You know what I mean? So I don't just think that they're particularly interesting. I do think, though, that we're going to have an opportunity in the not so distant future where we see some of these big Nasdaq names that make up a huge percentage of the major uh, large cap indices. They're going to show really good relative strength. And we're going to see all those names that have rallied 30, 40 percent off their lows, right, or that are down 60, 70 percent from their highs. They're going to retest those lows really soon. And that's going to be the moment of the truth for, I think, for the stock market in general. And that's probably going to happen in the next few months. All right. Coming up is a tech trade chipped Micron, the latest semi name to warn of weakening demand, how to play the sector ahead. But first, we've got earnings alerts on Coinbase and Roblox, both stocks dropping after reporting results. See after our action in those names next, much more Fast Money in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, custom 
customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, shares of Coinbase down by about 4.5% in the after-hour session. The crypto exchange reporting a loss of more than a billion dollars for the second quarter, with trading volumes dropping after a rough few months for crypto prices. The conference call is set to kick off in a few minutes. Kate Rooney has the numbers. Kate. Hey, Melissa, that's right. A billion dollar loss for Coinbase in the second quarter amid that slide in crypto prices. The net loss was $1.1 billion or $4.98 a share. That was a couple dollars lower than expected. A year ago, Coinbase had seen a profit of more than $1.5 billion during crypto's bull market. Revenue also missed expectations, was down 64 percent from a year ago. Coinbase also saw a dip in users for the quarter and gave some updated numbers for July. July monthly transacting users dropped to 8 million. I also just got off the phone with CFO Alicia Haas. She said it was a tough quarter and said that they're lowering operating expenses, trying to pull back a bit and uh, trying to spend prudently. As she put it, I asked about profitability. She said they're not focused on quarter to quarter profit. She said they're taking a long term perspective and the Coinbase is trying to break even across the cycle, as she put it. Uh, She also thinks they're in the early days of crypto, so still trying to spend to really build out the platform. And in the release, executives say that decline in crypto assets significantly impacted those Q2 results. And some of the soft crypto market conditions are expected to continue into Q3. That's reflected in the updated outlook. They point to risk management and say they weren't exposed to crypto's widespread credit and liquidity issues on the bright side. And then on Outlook, Coinbase now lowering the range for monthly transacting users for the full year, also expecting a drop in revenue per user, lowering trading volume guidance as well for the third quarter compared to Q2. Melissa, back to you. Any sense, Kate, from your discussion with the CFO about um, promotional activity to keep consumers? Marketing. It is sort of this push and pull because they've got this slowdown in users. And a lot of times, especially in fintech, you've got to spend big to advertise. We've seen Super Bowl ads by this company and a lot of others in crypto. She did say that they're trying to be prudent, but they can't fully take their foot off the gas because they've got to compete. You've now got the likes of FTX. Binance in the U.S. market. So it doesn't seem like they're completely scrapping the marketing budget, but it is sort of this balancing act. And we'll get more on that likely on the call coming up here in about 10 minutes. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney, uh, Julie Beal, how do you feel about Coinbase here? Not, not only are they, they facing competitive pressures potentially here, a decline in the crypto market, but they've also got an SEC investigation on their hands. Yeah, I think, you know, all I have to do when I want to kind of check in on what's going with crypto is find the web the website, Web 3.0 is going great. And it's just a daily digest of the scams, the hacking, the bankruptcies. I mean, to me, this is just a space that doesn't have a lot of quality to it, but it has lots of opportunity for fraud. And, you know, it's hard to make money when you have assets that are this volatile. It's hard to argue that these kinds of assets should even be on corporate balance sheets a la Tesla. And I think looking forward, I'm really concerned about what this means for the future of the retail investor. But I kind of think the reason why we talk about this all the time is that half of men in the U.S. have traded crypto. So that's probably why. Yeah, I'm not one of them, though. But I'll say this. You know, Danny was just here talking about some of the absurdities and the moves. This was a $41 stock a month ago. Mm -hmm. It was 109 
a week ago. It, that's pretty a pretty ridiculous move. This $4.98 loss is much worse than even the most pessimistic analysts had. That's that. With that said, when BlackRock came in, this stock was trading somewhere between 75 and 80. I will tell you that a 50% retracement of the move that I just talked about is 75. I actually think it gets there, and I think if it does, you buy it when it does get All there. Right. Um, let's get to Roblox now. Shares are down uh, quite a bit in the after-hour session. The gaming platform reporting a 4% drop in bookings, its revenue metric, versus a year ago. The company also saying daily active users came in at just over 52 million, about a million less than expected. Bookings per user fell 21% from last year. Take two uh, yesterday, Roblox today. So, Dan, what, what do you make of this? Yeah, you know, just like the Coinbase thing. I mean, you know, Kate just went through that whole quote. There's nothing to like there. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to suggest that it gets better, you know, anytime soon before it gets worse. And I think you look at this Roblox, and here's a company, again, that obviously is very different than Coinbase, but had a big pull forward during the pandemic. And now we're seeing this massive deceleration. We're also seeing a cost structure that's too high. We're seeing a company that's lost, you know, that, that basically has losses and they're getting bigger. And that wasn't the narrative when you were heading in to 2022. So again, I mean, it's a hard one. It's a good theme here. I mean, there's things that are going on there. But when you have that sort of drop 21 percent in user growth, I mean, again, where is the trough? And, and that's really the question, I think, for a lot of these names. So, you know, to Guy's point, we've had this sort of volatility, 41 to 109. We're gonna, we've seen it in some. So these are great trading vehicles right now. But I think if you're going to start to think about what does it look like when we get past this period in the market, you're going to have to dollar cost average if you want to cut, like try to catch a bottom on a longer term basis. Do you, Bonoin? Try to catch a bottom? Yeah. Never. Not ever. Not <laughs> dollar once. Cost average Never game. have I ever. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, I would say like similar to Guy's point before, it's made that move from 30 to 50 and now has retraced back to 40. So yeah. the, the, there is some technical setup there. If I'm going to try to catch a falling nights, Melissa, you know me by now, it's always going to be via an options play. I don't like my hands bloody, so I don't catch falling knives. You know, we, we like to come up with new games here on CNBC's oh, Fast games. Money, which is 5 o'clock each games. night, 15 and a half, almost 16 almost years. Almost 16. If I continue this, we probably won't Plexiglass. make it. I'll say this. Okay. Never Have I Ever would be a fantastic Fast Money game. That <laughs> never Have I Ever. No. Never <laughs> Have I Ever. First Never Have I Ever be. I don't know. I just bought the game. I mean, I just, I've bought never bought anything on Amazon. Yes. I've never bought anything on the line. When I do that, you'll be the first to know. Right. <laughs> Can't wait. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Is the chip trade collapsing? Micron is the latest name to warn that big tech is in big trouble. What it means for semis and the rest of the market next. And later, grab your popcorn. A mega bet on AMC. One trader says it's time to roll credits on that movie theater stock. Stick around. We'll bring you that and a lot more. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. First, NVIDIA and now Micron, the chipmaker this morning, warning that revenue could fall short of already reduced guidance as it sees a challenging market environment ahead. It was just 40 days ago that Micron first cut expectations for the quarter, saying smartphone demand would be meaningfully lower than forecast. Shares closed down almost 4%. The news, no surprise, rattling the entire sector for a second day as shares of Applied Materials, Lamb Research, and others also fell. I mean, how many times are we going to trade lower on basically the same sort of thing, uh, Dan? Yeah, I think it's the frequency in which we're mm-hmm. getting these things. Yeah. And I think that when we were talking about, I think a month and a half ago, all of those pre-announcements that we got soon after right. we had just seen the Q1 results and the Q2 guidance. So here we're seeing a shift from kind of on the line stuff to some more infrastructure sort of stuff. And so to me, I think there's a lot of things you can extrapolate from the Micron, again, 40 days after they gave that guidance on June 30th. And, you know, I got to tell you, I was not here yesterday, that NVIDIA revenue uh, miss, that, that, that was that was eye-popping. And I'm actually surprised it's not down a lot more. I'm surprised that the SMH, the ETF, the tracks, the semiconductor index has not really, I mean, maybe maybe they are going back to lows. And maybe that's the sector that you have to watch. Forget the meme stuff or whatever. And that's probably why you'll continue to see crowding, I guess, in the Apple and the Microsoft. I mean, for a name that had been so loved, that mm-hmm. executed so well over the course of time, NVIDIA, um, and then to see I mean, game, the gaming revenue line was just disastrous. disastrous. And then so they said that data centers should hold in, which that's fine. Right. Let's see what happens. But, you know, Carter Worth was on last night. He had a great Sox chart, uh, basically upper left, lower right. And we talked about NVIDIA. Dan's right. From $8.1 billion down to $6.7 billion, that's not insignificant. And if they miss again in a couple weeks on the report, this is a stock that went from 145 north of 190. I think it could challenge that 145 area again. And Micron's the same thing. A company that we thought got past the commoditization of DRAM and NAND, they didn't. When stocks like this or this cheap on valuation, it's typically a warning sign. I think Micron can go down as well. You know, if you had said this is going to happen today, Julie, and, and how do you think the stock market will trade? That's almost another game in and of yeah, itself. Yeah, I play that but game. But that NVIDIA had a disastrous quarter last night. Micron would take down their guidance for the second time in 40 days, essentially. How would the markets trade? One might have said, you know what, I think the markets will trade lower because, you know what, semiconductors are highly cyclical. Maybe they're telling us something about the U.S. economy and and companies' difficulties in forecasting business just a month out. And yet here we were today. It was really confined, the damage was, to the chip sector. I think that's right. I, you know, I think everyone is realizing that these businesses have more cyclicality. We had hoped that in with consolidation that it would be better, but I don't think it's really that much better for them. And they still have a very hard time forecasting their own demand, like most businesses, right? I, I, that's what makes this job interesting, I would say. But I, I think if I look forward and across, it really depends on what you're exposed to. And if you have any kind of chip exposure to the consumer, I think you're going to be in a weaker position than if you have chip exposure to industrials or to automation. I think that's a better place to be. So that that's kind of what we're trying to keep in mind is think of the end user. That's really how you position yourself. You know, when we saw that weakness in, in yields, particularly on the back end, you saw the flight of capital back into growth, back into technology. And this isn't just an NVIDIA thing. This isn't just a Micron thing. 
AMD told you the same thing, and they've pretty much been a darling this entire time. They said, listen, guidance is going to continue to be challenged. And what I think investors are going to have to continue to hear is the same message on repeat, particularly with yields where they are. I think between tomorrow, um, September's Fed action, and continued space in this, um, in this semi-space, I think those are going to be the things that contribute to us kind of rolling over and taking another leg lower. I'll also mention, if you take a look at the XLY, which also got a pop when we saw commodities kind of come off, all of that stuff is also starting to roll over. So for for whatever reason, this this move back lower is a little bit longer than we might have anticipated, but you are starting to see those cracks. Yeah, you know, Julie makes a great point about the semiconductors exposed to consumers, to industrials, and we just looked at Texas Instruments just a couple weeks ago had actually really good, I mean, I think we were all surprised not only in the report, but also the guidance and, you know, when you think about the areas in industrial and autos and stuff where we know that there's supply constraints and we know that there's going to be a demand for a while, I mean, like, that is a place to be. And you look at Texas Instruments, it's down only 6% on the year, and it's fairly near those recent all-time highs. So I think there's places that you can hide out in semis, but right now, the ones that are warning, I just don't think you want to try buying them on the way back to their lows that they made last month. All right, coming up, is Walmart the next media company? The big box retailer may be making its move into the world of streaming. We'll get you the details next and later. The Reddit revolution is picking back up again. What direction does the options market see AMC heading from here? That trade and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Walmart may be taking another stab at streaming and go head-to-head with Amazon Prime. A new report out says the retailer is exploring deals with a number of major media companies. Julia Borston's got the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, we've reached out to Walmart for comment. We have not heard back yet, but the New York Times is reporting that Walmart is exploring bundling a streaming service into its Walmart Plus membership program and that Walmart has held talks with executives at Paramount, Disney, and Comcast as it evaluates how it could use TV shows and movies to drive subscribers to Walmart Plus. That's the service which costs $13 a month and includes free shipping. Now, I've talked to some of the companies named in the article, Paramount um, and Disney. They've told me no comment. I've not gotten through to Comcast yet, but I've talked to some sources in the space. Multiple sources tell me that these talks are indeed happening. And here's why this could make sense. It could build on Walmart Plus offering Spotify premium for six months for free to its subscribers. And it would follow in the way Amazon has used original and licensed content to keep subscribers hooked on Amazon Plus and on the way that Verizon and T-Mobile have offered their subscribers free or discounted access to streamers. For instance, certain Verizon plans include access to Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus. And here's one other thing. If Walmart could license content to stream with ads, those ads would be incredibly valuable, similar to the way that Amazon and Google have been able to use product search data to drive their own ad growth. Guys? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. For more on the streaming landscape, let's bring in Reach TV CEO Linwood Bibbins. Linwood, good to have you here in the house. That's yeah, it's great to be in, in person, finally. Finally, finally. What do you make of this of this report? I think it's amazing. Uh-huh. I, think, um, I think when you look at, uh, especially Walmart, they are a media company. Uh, and I think bundling it with Disney Plus or Disney in general will be amazing. The offering and the value that the consumer would get is unmatched. And especially with 1295 shipping and what they're trying to do and compete with Amazon with the acquisition of Jet and with what they're doing, it's a super smart move. They have been very um, forward in terms of their thinking of how they use 
online properties, et cetera. And I'm wondering, why, why do you think Walmart's a media company? I mean, that's that's the first I've ever heard. Uh, because <laughs> back in my old days of building tech out, we built out the retail media inside of Walmart. And when you look at what they built inside of there and how many consumers they have in it, and people that actually watch the screens inside of a Walmart, that is a media company. Oh. <laughs> that's pure viewership and people that are spending money. Yeah. But Lynn, you wouldn't want to see a company like Walmart. And again, we all get why adding more services to a plus service is just stickier for the customers who are doing it. It may attract new customers, but you don't really want to see them going out and doing what Amazon's doing. You want to see them license. You don't want to see them create new content. That's getting to be a very crowded sort of place. Now, they obviously yeah. have the balance sheet to do that if they want to. I don't think investors at Walmart would really appreciate that, though. I think what the, what the package they're trying to do is take from, I like, get Disney Plus, where they don't have to really create yep. anything. They're just adding extra value to their Walmart Plus package. Yep. That's a that's a win-win for everybody involved. Julie, I'm so I'm so curious. Sorry, I'm so curious what it would mean for Walmart to continue to expand in terms of being able to really license and what the end game is for them because it's it's not clear to me how they can best Amazon on this when so much of the business of Amazon is really what they have with AWS and being able to use that to fund the proceeds um, of their core Amazon shopping business. If I was uh, to go look at that, I would go the other way. I would focus on Walmart's ability to do advertising. They're doing that already in their retail stores. And then you take that with being able to run ads if they get this deal done with the Disney Plus. That's where they could really catch up to Amazon I think that's where Amazon is really, nobody really talks about the fact that they have a $30 billion advertising uh, platform agency, if you want to call it. I think that's where Amazon snuck up on a lot of people, including the big six. Then would typically I'd say style drift for Walmart, but I don't think it is. And full disclosure, we have to say that, right? Yes. You know, who's a good looking guy that typically sits over with there? With the hair. With the good, with the good hair, with the, with the blue eyes. Have, you, Tim, Tim have Seymour. you seen my hair? Not you. You, you know what? Honestly, well, that's another show, okay, Bob. Sorry. Dan hair has been unbelievable. Yeah. But Tim Seymour and I have a relationship with Linwood. Yes. If you've been in an airport recently, Melms, you'll see right. us on every screen. And it's, it's madness. With that said, you saw what happened with Axios. Content is still king. Talk to us about what you have your vision for Reach TV. Well, our vision is, is simple. It's all about community and culture. So when we first launched it, it was about uh, truth and positivity. And then we shifted and, and moved that to community and culture. Because when you produce and you talk about stories around community and culture, it's, it resonates with people. And being in 90 airports across the US and Canada and expanding globally, you're really telling that story of what's going on in each community. And every community is different. Actually, there's sex inside of each community. So if you're in Boston, South Boston is much different than one side of Boston. So being able to tell those stories, be able to connect to people in their travel, and be able to take travel into a lean back experience versus a lean forward, we're already stressed. Reach TV's job is to make that a lean back experience. So that's why you're so comfortable in saying Walmart is an ad company. I mean, when you're in, in a Walmart, they've got screens, so you can relate to that sort of model. So I, can, I can, I yeah. can, but I think, you know, well, Walmart, they're a little bit different than we are because sure. we're talking about people sitting for 70, right, right, right. 80 minutes. But I do think that Walmart has, when I, when I look at retail media, I look at it as this way. They are the last thing you see before you make a purchase. Right. That's really powerful. Um, so that's where Walmart is a media company. Yeah. Linwood, great to see you in person. Linwood. Bibbins of Reach TV. Um, Bono, what do, you, what do you think of this potential partnership? It's interesting to think about Walmart using it uh, for advertising. Uh, it is. I think Lemon brings up a lot of good points. If he's still with us, I actually had a question for him, if, if, if that's possible. Um, 
Uh, that's to, bringing back the guests on yeah, that's like, that's <laughs> like, that, that that a Is that an absolute no? It is, but you know, he had he had a very interesting op-ed that I found extremely interesting, and I wanted to speak to it, give him an opportunity to speak to it. Would you, would you mind touching on the uh, DEI initiatives and the, and the impact that they have on up for its spin allocation? Um, I think it's a touchy subject for a lot of people. Uh, for me, it's, it's more just looking at those letters, and I always focus on the, the E, equity, because that's really what we're talking about. The D and I are, uh, you know, something you can play around with. The equity is quantifiable. You can actually, and for upfronts, it's really quantifiable for a media company. Because when the upfronts happen, they're able to make commitments to you upfront, so now you can go invest. And what I tell everybody is, when you invest in black-owned media, you're giving me the dollars so I can go out and make my, my team diverse and include the people that, and the stories that we want to tell about this diverse community. That's why it's such an important thing. And I think if you're going to make the commitment, follow through. And I think we've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of, my name used on things, but not the execution on the other end. Oh. And, and that is, that's a little bit frustrating, but there's been great people that are like stepped up and want to do right. And I, I truly believe both the brands and the agencies want to do it. I think they're just, you have to keep working on the process. Linwood, thank you once again. No problem. I'll let that go. It's a very good question. So I won't, there won't be any penalty inflicted on Bonner, although I will put a note in my ledger for next time. Coming up, looking to make some fast money, we've got a brand new segment for you. Four stocks making big moves today. Stick around for four fast movers. But first, a sea of red for the Reddit stocks after seeing some big gains yesterday. Is there more downside to come? We'll tell you what the options markets are saying. More fast money into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out some retail trader favorites like AMC, GameStop, and Bed Bath & Beyond all dropping in today's session. The move comes after the stocks saw a big surge yesterday, but options traders are betting the curtain could be closing on one of these names. That's a hint. Mike's got the action. Hey, Mike. You know, we're talking about AMC, which is always one of the busiest single stock options that traded, but it did trade 1.4 times its average daily options volume today. The single largest print we saw was a big one by two put spread, specifically the September 13, 11 one by two put spread. The buyer paid 30, uh, 63 cents for 2,500 of the September 13 puts and then sold 5,000 September 11 puts against it for 30 cents. Now, a trade like this, basically what you're looking for is the stock to run to that short strike. That would be $11 in September expiration. And I'm sure the math isn't too hard for people to figure out. That would be a decline of 50%. Wow. Um, how do you interpret that trade, Bonowin? That the speculative mania around these meme stocks has gotten completely out of control, and someone has said, enough of this. Um, and they'll probably end up right, and it will probably end up pinning to that level. We talked about 50% retracements. This is a very technical setup and, uh, from both you know, um, stock technicals as well as options. The WSB crowd is coming after Bonowin, the B-Ice breaker. I can just see it the now on Twitter. They're crowd. all going nuts. I happen to agree with them, though. Good for Bonowin for pointing that out. And Danny talked about that earlier. At some point, fundamentals do matter. It's probably going to catch up here very soon. All right. Mike Coe, thank you. For more Options Action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time coming up. We've got some fast movers for you. Four names making big moves in today's market. The trades on these names and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Kramer's got a big lineup ahead. Do not miss interviews with the heads of Planet Fitness, Take-Two Interactive, and the Union Square Hospitality Group. That's at the top of the hour. 
on Mad Money. Our meantime, we're digging into some fast movers in today's session. Up first, Occidental Petroleum shares jumping 4% after Berkshire Hathaway announced it raised its stake in the energy company to more than 20%. Crossing this threshold means Berkshire can now record some of the oil company's profits as its own. Guy. Clearly, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway does not think this energy move is over. I happen to agree. Now, it's been painful, and Dan's been all over the move from 130 down to current levels. But I think there's another leg higher. Clearly, I think Warren Buffett thinks that as well. And Occidental is cheap here. 187 million shares now, north of 20 percent. A vested interest in seeing this company obviously do well. It will. Flirting with a 52-week high, but we're nowhere near levels we saw five or six years ago. I think you can stay with Oxy here, despite the fact that the commodity seems to be under pressure. Julie, you like Oxy? Yeah, I think it's an interesting play on the resources. We've been underinvesting in capital for such a long time, and I think we could see a super cycle of investment that sets us up longer term. So, yeah. Next up, uh, SoFi sinking more than 7% today on the back of SoftBank's announcement that it would sell at least part of its 9% stake in the company. Dan, is this a SoFi story or a SoftBank story, a little bit of both? Uh, I, I think it probably has more to do with SoftBank and the results that they've had. They have a large stake. They probably own it at much lower levels than here. And I think the important thing was that they said they may sell some or all. And I guess if you're in the business of buying stocks, you don't want to get in front of buying a stock where the largest shareholder, 9%, is suggested that they might be selling. I'm kind of conflicted here. I like the company. I like the management. I like their strategies. I like some things going on. I was buying it last year at much higher levels, and now I'm out here, and I don't really want to step in front of this, if you see it as a hat size, uh, you know, like a Gayadami hat size, like a five or something like that, maybe it's a good buy there. All right. Turning to travel now. Is that your, what is your? No, my hat was like seven and three eighths, oh, I think. It's good to know. Yeah. News you can use. Norwegian Cruise Line <laughs> plunging 10 and a half percent after reporting a miss on the top and the bottom lines in Q2. Norwegian also telling investors it doesn't expect ships to return to pre-pandemic occupancy until next year. Bonoen. Yeah, this one's of particular concern only because you've seen the consumer move away from goods to services and travel, and they're struggling while you're having that tailwind. So you, you kind of layer on the fact that they've really had to double their debt balance through this whole pandemic situation, and I think there's likely more pain ahead. All right, finally, life science company Azenta falling in the after hours after its latest earnings report adjusted EBITDA was down 26% from a year ago. Shares were down in the regular session as well after announcing the acquisition of a medical systems company based in Luxembourg. Uh, yesterday. Julie, you're the one who flagged this one. Why? I think this is an interesting opportunity to buy a business that has really solid long-term growth prospects. They do DNA sample storage. And once you store with them, you're not moving it. They bought a company that helps you with transport and vaccine delivery. And, you know, if you're out here thinking that we're not going to have another COVID-19, I got news for you. Vaccines are here to stay. I like this uh, management team, and I think the long-term fundamentals are, are quite good for grumpy long-term investors like me. Yeah. You own it? We do own it. All right. Up next, we got your final trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. I like health equity. It gives you exposure to the growth in flexible spending accounts and rising rates. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Disney reports tomorrow after the close. Had a big run into it. I would not be a buyer into it. Bonwin, who still sits here despite bringing back the past. 
Oof. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm uh, fading that whole meme stock mania. Listen, I was the same one that marveled at the technical expertise of some of the retail traders. I'm just saying that the, the situation is drastically different from a liquidity standpoint now. What has happened to traders who have brought back the guests in the past? Oh, we, I, we can't remember all of them. They don't even They're exist gone. anymore. Did I They're pack gone. my bags? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like, where'd they send we'll Napoleon? Keep following, though. What was that island that he went to? It's like a Elba. Corsica. Elba. No, not Corsica. Oh, yeah, you're right. Elba. Yeah, like Elba. the toast. I appreciate that's what they named the toast after. Remember that? Well, that's Mel. But anyway, but can, can I say something? Because we have time. Did you miss us as much as we missed you whilst you were gone? Yes. Uh, that's, you know, something. See, that's people wonder. They say, is Melissa nice to you in real life? No, you just saw it in real I'm life. Honest. I mean, that's just I'm Amgen. I like what it's been doing. Look at the way this stock has been trading, Melms. I love all you guys. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.